Hello, my name's Billy Moore. Welcome to the Billy Moore Podcast. And my guest today is John Burton, a.k.a. Juice Bomb John. Thanks for coming along, John. Oh, you're welcome, Billy, mate. Tell me about... Tell me your story and why they've called you Juice Bomb John. Um, I think that was down to using so many steroids growing up. Yeah. Um, it was either one rip or Juice Bomb John. Yeah. And uh, I was doing an interview with um, the Echo. And on the air, on the, when we were talking, he said, so what was with all the steroids? I just basically said to him, I said, I was using that many. I said, my mates were calling me Juice Bomb John. Never think for one minute it ends up in the paper two days later as Juice Bomb John. So I think everyone now, up and down the country, you go anywhere, it's Juice Bomb John. You're just getting it everywhere. I say now it's Juice Gone John. Juice Haven't gone. sussed a juice for God years. I think I dropped about five stone, but... What kind, of, what kind of steroids were you using back then? Um, anything that would fit in my ass, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> I think they had an ass, like a pincushion. Yeah. But we were using like one rip, uh, test, uh, growth hormone. Obviously, you start when you're younger on the naps and yeah. then you find out that they're full of uh, toxic stuff and then you go yeah. on to the jabs and then once you've had your first jab, you never look back really, do you? I had, uh, yeah, I had a little experience when I was in Thailand with steroids just on a decker for about six weeks. And I remember taking them and um, I was smoking methamphetamine, which was the, the Abbott, the crystal meth. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I looked like Bruce Lee on crack cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Cut up, but uh, I haven't trusted him since, like, but yeah. So, John, um, tell me where you're from and a little bit about your story. Um, I was born in Vauxhall Gardens in 1970. Well, the last six minutes of 1970, I'll have you know, my mum kept her legs shut. I'd have been born in 71. So uh, we lived there till we were six and then moved up here to Kirkdale, Walton, onto Fountains Close. Moved onto an estate there. Uh, I think there was probably about 800 houses being built on a few of the estates. Yeah. And I think that from there just basically put us in. I had about 800 people my age on the, on the site, so... It was one of them. There was nothing in Liverpool. You probably know in the 80s in Liverpool, it was just, there weren't jobs here. No. And obviously tough, it was yeah. just full of everyone, weren't it? Yeah, that's it. That was a, that was a big, um, that was like a silent bomb that yeah. landed in Merseyside. Was bad, weren't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, You know yourself, obviously you've seen your mates and stuff around us and as soon as one went on them, a few more were on them, a few more were on them and then the next thing you know, there was just, it was just, it was everywhere, weren't it? So did you have any experience, John, with... Um, with taking drugs or yeah, I didn't. I've never touched like heroin or crack down, but I've got. I've done. I've done coke. I've done yeah. fat. I've done MDMA. I've done um, ecstasy. Yeah. I've smoked weed till it was coming out of my ears. So yeah, I've been in and around drugs sort of all my life. To be honest, yeah. how does um? I see. I always. I always wonder what went wrong in my life because you're about similar age to myself. Yeah. Both born in the seventies and the early seventies, and the products of like the eighties. Maggie Fats, yeah, the Falkland Wars. Yeah, yeah. The the Toxic Friars. I mean, we had it like it was like it wasn't it wasn't it's easy. Hard, yeah, it, it yeah. was. It was wasn't easy, and um, there was no jobs. Unemployment was massive. Yeah. And I think, you know, there was loads of. Um, I remember like Grains Hill. Yeah, Ziggy. Ziggy, and yeah. they were talking about saying, just saying no, just saying no, yeah. and, it, and it Liverpool wasn't. was saying nah, just say yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I remember them. Um, because I lived in the South End in Toxteth and there was uh, a sign that said, this is L8, strictly, strictly cannabis. Yeah, and yeah. then you had Crocksteth, which you said, this is, uh, this is crocky, not socky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, strictly smack. Mm. And it was like, this is socky, not crocky, strictly weed. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, Back yeah. In the day. So, John, 
Yeah, you were born in and around uh, the north of Liverpool. Yeah. And, you know, what was your dreams and your goals growing up? Um, I think when I got to about 12, my dreams were to be a drug dealer. Yeah. Well, not so much my dreams were to be a drug dealer, but if you think about it, there was nothing else for us to do. Now, we had three options. The way we seen it was school and football, but we didn't go to school. We couldn't really play football, could yeah, we? So no. we could have gone down like a heroin route, but I'd seen firsthand of what it done to my mates within the matter of a few months of them going on it, and it was a route I didn't want to take. But for the bigger guys, the older lads on the estate who were driving like nice little BMWs at the time and wearing the nice clothes, nice trainees, stuff like that, the ones who were selling drugs and making money, yeah. I wanted a bit of it. When you're living on a council estate, Billy, it's it's difficult. And then, you know, your mum and dad can't sort of provide everything for you. And there was three, uh, three of us in our house. And you go to school and people look at your trainees and stuff. And in Liverpool, if you've got a bad pair of trainees on, you get leathered, yeah. you know? So when people go to school and someone comes in in a pair of nicks, you were leathering them, yeah. which nowadays you look at it, it's not fair yeah. because it's no, it's actually it's putting people in a, in a situation where- It's bullying. Yeah, 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 and they go home and if the mum and dad can't pay for certain clothes or whatever, then they'll get involved in, in something where just to get them little bits of trainees or them little bits of coats. And look now, 600 pounds for pairs of shoes, thousand pounds for coats and yeah. our 16 year olds this is what they want yeah and at the time for me was you know my mum and dad provided everything we could have but you'd always wanted that little bit more didn't you yeah that, that's it's image orientation isn't it it's like yeah. um i yeah similar john growing up we had nothing yeah really we had nothing you know i take strada and goalie and yeah, all that yeah. game you know what i mean and walker trackies yeah you remember all yeah, that that stuff and the cost it started changing. Yeah, Everything yeah. was trying to go with the times, and we we never had the money. You know, do you know? Do you know what changed the clothes in Liverpool? Everton and Liverpool playing in Europe. Was that Wade Smiths and all that? The Adidas. Yeah, because remember, I was there. I was there yesterday doing something down there, and I remember the first Wade ship, uh, Wade Smith shop opening just yeah. off Bowl Street. It just used to sell trainers. Yeah. And then obviously when fashion started coming into the city. But when we were going away with Everton or Liverpool to watch um, football abroad, yeah. we were going to have sports shops off and we were coming home with like Australian tracksuits, Alessi tracksuits, Tachini, mm. Fila. So everyone sort of round our area on our estate were walking around in Rob Trackies from yeah. Germany or from France or something. And that's what it was. You go over like, if they'd be 20, 30 years abroad, you'd go and find a good shop and then 20, 30 years ago in later on mm. and just take what you want. I used to go in an hour before me, sly ass and put all the mediums on one rack. <laughs> <laughs> and every time I'd go in, grab the rack, I'd go back to the hotel, get them all out and put one on. The lads go, how, how, how have you got all them fitting you? Yeah. I was in the shop an hour before, he's <laughs> putting all my um, putting all the tracky sizes on her, um, on her anger. And that's what we'd done. We were coming home and sort of tracksuits were massive in Liverpool in, in them days, weren't they? So for us, yeah. Australian feeler was one of my top top trackies. Uh, Tachini, just the likes of all them. They were like your football hooligan trackies in the 80s, weren't they? Yeah, I think when I was I was young, I, I strived to, 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 to own a pair of Reebok. Yeah, uh, Royal, Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. royal ones, the blue ones. And yeah. I remember my mum got me a pair one Christmas, and it was the first time she'd ever bought me anything that cost a few quid, really. And I, I went round to everyone on our estate and showed them all. Yeah, yeah. It was like they were still in the box, and I was opening the box before. It was like I was just as excited. It's not like, like you said, it's it's uh, there's too much um, 
given to kids these yeah. days, I believe. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, there's too yeah. much temptation, there's too much technology. You know, you're paying what Valentinos and Montclairs mm. and stuff like that. It's, it's it's costing a fortune, but it does it does shepherds. It shepherds societies and, yeah. and communities. But you, you look you look at Liverpool itself. It's a fashion city. Yeah, everyone wants to have that certain type of clothes, or everyone wants to have like. Hey, I went out the other week and I was in a restaurant. And there was three lads sitting there with the exact same T-shirt on. Now, in our day, that wouldn't happen, would it? No, no. You know, if someone come out with the same T-shirt, I'm not being funny, Billy, you go, yeah. ah, fuck this, lads, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get changed. But nowadays, they're just, there's, there's people sitting there with the same clothes on where, yeah. just because it's got a name and it's 400 quid or 200 quid. Yeah, that's... And half of the yeah. stuff you wouldn't wear, would you? Because no. I wouldn't. Like the Balenciagos, or whatever they call them, honestly. Yeah, yeah, it's not a... There's a lot of them not for me, mate. Yeah, there's not a lot of shame. Listen, I remember getting a Saki, mate, and um, do you know what I saved? I think it was about 280 quid at the time, and I was going back in 1988, I think, and um, it was one of them Sakis, and, I mean, we've been in the uh, club in the night. Everyone was, where'd you get that from? Where'd you get that from? And we goes out in the night. We ended up getting in a rob car. Well, we couldn't get home from South Wales. We ended up in um, near South Wales in a party, and it was four in the morning. We couldn't get home, and we've, we were looking for a car to get home, and we ended up getting a brand-new uh, Montego EFI. Do you remember them? The Vans and Plaz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we had the EFI. What used to talk to you all the yeah. time in the car. Please, fasten your seatbelt and one of them. And um, we ended up getting uh, chased by a, um, a Granada 4x4 Scorpio. Yeah. So my mates, uh, my mates drive, and I'm out the sunroof throwing bricks at the um, the, the Scorpio to try and get them away. Yeah. And I think it took us about an hour or two. We ended up getting caught on um, on Vauxhall's ground. But while we unbraked the car and went running, the first fence to jumped over, I got my tracky caught in a um, barbed wire, and it just ripped, you know, from the top right down to the uh, to yeah. the bottom. But I was walking with a flappy leg, and that, and that proper wounded me. I went asked about getting nicked. I was sitting in a cell with a sacky thinking. The clobber. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, that's all that mattered to us as kids, weren't it? Yeah, it was the same. It was like a pop burn in, in, in a sacky yeah, was the worst. It was heavy. People hey, don't know what pop burns are nowadays. No, mate, they don't. It was Rocky, bars are Rocky, weren't they? <laughs> yeah. don't even get them now, do you? Oh, no, you don't know. I think everyone's on this green and... This green nowadays, mate, it's naughty. We've we've been drug testing people who just smoke green and we're getting um, coming back class A's, yeah. That's coming back yeah. opiates and some yeah. of them. So people are now mixing opiates in, in bags of green where you can't do that, but yeah, when that, you're young. Yeah, see we're living in a time but it's like it's spice now as well, isn't it? Yeah. There's a lot of that going about. I'll be honest with you, mate, when I first come out I tried it. Yeah. I was in jail in two twelve and um I was seeing what it was doing to everyone, but I was seeing how much they were putting in it. Yeah. And I only put a little tiny amount in and had two pulls, put it out. And to me, at the time when I was in jail, it was just like smoking a joint. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Where probably a few months after it's come into the jail, you see the effects it did have on people, and it was just, it was proper, proper naughty. Yeah, I've seen it on first hands, and it's, um, it's, quite, uh, it's quite scary, and, and you can see these kids humiliating themselves yeah, yeah. and them embarrassing themselves. and. People dying as well, yeah, I mean? people getting punched, punched in prison yeah. sort of for for a joint. Sexually spice, assaulted you know I mean? and uh, made fun of. Well, have, yeah. So moving, say, so, <laughs> so you're twelve years old, going back to twelve, John, and you and you and you strive to become a drug dealer. Did you ever become one? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And what was your? Uh, what did you sell? Um, we were bringing uh, coke. Well, in the in the early times, obviously, it was always weed. Yeah. So sort of 82, 83, 
you know, you were just getting involved in weed and stuff. But obviously, the older lads, because uh, because the way I was, I was they said do this for us. And when you know, when people tell you to go and move a bag and don't look in it, you're a scouse. What's the first thing you do when you get off the estate? Yeah, yeah. You look in it, don't you? And then obviously if it was guns and something. You go and have a little play and it was one bullet short, and you get your ass kicked, and that's how it started. And then I started getting um, bits of weeds and stuff and selling weeds and just basically catapulted from this. I think I think one of my first good paydays was um, Everton. Yeah. Um, because I used to live in between Everton and Liverpool's fo- football grounds, I was playing footy on um, on Everton's ground, 1983, probably 83, 84, 84, 85, around that. And we were on the, the pitch. best years, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the caretaker, yeah. like the park end then was the away supporters. Yeah. So we used to like my mate was in goal and I play football into the um, into the away end, and we were cut as the um, as we were on the pitch the caretaker come on little flat cap big long uh, brown mach, you know an old fella and he's yeah. saying right get out use so on the way out and you know yourself in the park end where the big blue door is it's got a little blue door in it hasn't it yeah he's only gone and left all the bu- full bunch of keys in the money with the door open yeah. So I've looked at him like that, and he knew exactly what I was going to do. He was going, you know, when you see something in slow motion. <laughs> so I just took the keys and got off. I had one of them, you know, them um, police whistles on yeah. the, the yeah. R ones. I had one of them on. And uh, the next night I went back, I found the master key that opened the whole lot of the Gladys Street doors. And then I went to Stanley Park, and I never wanted to rob Everton because I loved Everton. But I had the bunch of keys and I thrown a big bunch of keys into the lake. And I've still got the key to the Gladys Street to this day. So for, I reckon, the last three games we got caught. Well, we never got caught because we, we, we were away with it. But we was letting three, four, five, six hundred people a week in there. Yeah. Pound coins had just come out. Bobolats were out. Yeah. So I used to run to one door, fill all the bobolats, open one door, let them in. Run to the other one. I had the key for the five, uh, five doors. I'll be honest with you, with that and mines and cars, we were doing about 700 quid every home game, and that's when we're 1983, 84. It's a million, isn't yeah, it? And then, kid, like. Yeah, yeah, and then um, the year after that, we, um, do you know where the Everton shop is now? Yeah. So that used to be a printer's and a club on that day, and we get to, we, we, we mooching when we were kids, doing little bagelries and stuff, and it gets in there one night, and um, I've found three bin bags, well, them three bin bags out all the season, 400 season tickets for Everton and 400 season ticket for Liverpool for the season, newly starting. Mm. And I think we ended up with about 40 quid each on them. And I think that was our first sort of way of earning good money. And then obviously when you get to 15, 16, your weed gets a little bit more and you yeah. start selling a little bit more. And then by, by in my 20s, mate, I was bang into it. Just really bang into it. So it went from like um, all your weeds in your early teens then you get to your, like the late 80s and then ecstasy started popping out and yeah. obviously your first little thing to Quadrant Park, your first brown disco biscuit, yeah. that's it, that day that day onwards just changed your life, didn't it? Yeah, and yeah. I think where it was going like in the city, everyone was going mad with the gear and all that, but then when ecstasy come out, I think it was like four or five, five years of just love everywhere, When if you went yeah. to a club, you wouldn't really see no fighting. No. You know what I mean? No. You'd be like, you'd be standing next to someone and you'd be like, Love you, lad. You don't even know what it is. And then, what's well, you, you remember? Someone come up to you in the club. The first thing they say to you is, "All right, mate. What's your name? What have you had, and where would yeah, you come yeah, from?" Yeah, yeah. That was the first three things anyone ever yeah. said to you, weren't it? And I think from the first ecstasy, and then we started getting ecstasy. We were passing it out, and 
we were working with a few lads who were giving us it and then by the time you were in your 20s we were abroad making them then yeah so we were in belgium trying to get the formulas like making them and we were making mitsubishis and sending the mitsies home and stuff like that but that was the sort of your areas of around your ecstasy and yeah. then I think it was about 1994, 95, a young girl died called Leah Betts. Yeah, I remember that. In, yeah, um, yeah. in Essex down that way. Um, we were working with we were working with all them down there at the time. So the tablets we had yeah. were the same as they had. And we ended up throwing getting getting rid of loads and ending up like losing so much money on it that we had to sort of start again in it. And then they started up in the jail for the tablets then, didn't he? And giving big sentences yeah, out. I remember that, yeah. We were getting yeah. So they'd gone from like little little shitty sentences and then they were going up to tens and, and stuff like that. So we thought, you know what, let's get out of that and get into something else. And we ended up getting into the cigarettes. Yeah. So the cigarettes later in life in the late 90s, um, we were doing the cigarettes and I think we were doing about between 28 and 32,000 sleeves a day. So it was like three, four hundred grand a day in paper you were getting in and you were getting a lot of every day, five days a week with them in and... For us, it was it was just it was there was too much money. It was far far too much money than what we were used to, mm. and trying to spend that money is difficult. And I think it was probably a year later, uh, we'd made a lot. Well, I'd be, I'd made a lot of money from it and put a lot of money back into the new lot that was coming. Yeah, and then ended up getting caught in the two thousands with. Um, 26 wagons they all had about 28 to 32,000 sleeves in and four containers with 90,000 in each so it was probably around about 1.2 million uh, sleeves at the time I'd be times then by 17 pounds a head where now you could probably charge 50 pounds a head you yeah. know what I mean so in today's money you're talking about 110 million quids worth and we, we you know we were only shitty ass little kids who come from a council estate into earning big money and like I always say to everyone it's all right when you're earning big money but it's how you get nicked because you go out and you start buying dearer clothes yeah you buy dearer cars you buy dearer watches yeah. yeah yeah and like I always say it's not so much the police it's people around you as well they don't like what what you what you're doing and what you're yeah. making and even after your mates half of your mates will be jealous about it yeah. and then next minute someone's on the on these phones going oh, there to blah 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 he's bringing this in and bringing that in but what they don't realize is it's just like a sweet grass to me yeah. but you're on them phones if they're getting listened to you're fucked aren't you yeah and then um ended up getting um ended up getting jail for it only got him um, i got six years down to a four and then they hit me with a 14 million pound confiscation so looking at that, I was sitting in court thinking, what the fuck have I done here? Yeah. And uh, trying to argue with them and argue the point of that, I didn't evade duty by 14 million quid. And then I just stood up and the judge said, I went, judge, I want to ask you the question. He said, okay, go on, what is it? I said, if we cross into English waters and, and, and we're in the country, I said, we've evaded duty then, haven't we? He went, yeah, of course, Mr. Burton. I said, okay, well, 14 of them, um, 40, uh, 14 of them wagons that were coming into the country were still in Europe. I said, so they were in France. I said, they were in Holland. I said, they were in Belgium. They were in Germany. Yeah. I said, so you can't really charge me for them for uh, evading duty because they didn't come into the country. And he went, yeah, Mr. Burton, quite rightly, you're right. And I could see the prosecution's face just went, you could see him going green. And then my pocket went down to a million quid. I had uh, lap dancing clubs, bar, uh, bars, houses. I just spent it on shit, to be honest. But when you're from a council estate, mate, and you've had nothing, and this money's coming into your way, you, 
you, you're yeah. doing it when you're sitting in the mix of a lap dancing club that you're on with 30 birds sitting around you think yeah. you, you know and you're from here you think you've cracked it yeah. don't you know <laughs> what i mean that's the that I think that's the mistake. Isn't it? I think when you're having you're not used to money, you become like someone used to say to me, you get funny around money. Yeah. You know, you start behaving a little bit, uh, your egos involved massively yeah. and mm-hmm. you're doing things that, you know, you wouldn't normally do. So you've got all this money, John. You've got all these um, these little enterprises going on. Uh how did you feel, you know, on yourself? Because, you know, I've I've had like similar experiences, but I've I've had money and I've had it going on and you know, and I, I felt I was always on the run, mm. even when there was no one chasing me. Yeah, yeah. I always had to look over my shoulder. shoulder yeah. So, did you ever have that feeling that you're always like having to to, to, to like keep one step step ahead of the yeah. Lord? Yeah, I think every I think the minute you wake up, you're paranoid. Yeah. First thing you do is go and check your back window and your front window, and you see you sitting around your house. Um, you can, you can spot. Well, at that time, you could spot plods a mile away, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah. And um, every day I used to get up, I'd be out the back window, see what cars were there, I'd be out the front. Mm. Then we'd have someone in a hotel in town who could see facing the busy station. And what they used to do every day was report back of unmarked cars coming out of there. So registrations, colour of cars or vans. And then um, a breakthrough came in uh, Kirby Industrial Estate. Uh, We found out that the soccer... Had just um, done a big unit up there, and uh, one of our friends was actually doing something inside and working. And he came back and informed us that they had 300 uniforms around from a taxi driver to an ice cream van to something else to a gas van to a lecky van. And basically, we found out soccer were just roaming around the city in unmarked, you know, legitimate vans and stuff. Yeah. And it put the shits up, up everyone. And then that's where your vigilante and everything just comes in and you th- start thinking, you know what, it's the time to start keeping out of sight, out of mind. But when you're grafting like we were grafting, you, there's no way you can. There's too many people know what you're doing. And I tried to keep as much out of Liverpool as I could because I was, I was throwing stuff to Scotland, Newcastle, yeah. uh, Lower Stoft, London, Southampton, Birmingham. I think every major city in the country, I, I reckon once a week, they were always coming down for like... 20,000 sleeves of ciggies or something like that. So we were supplying the whole of the UK with them. Yeah, I imagine. So, uh, how did, so going forward now, so you, you've, you've, you've been arrested for four years, you got released. What happened then? Did, you, did your life change? In, um, I got out in 2005. I was um, 35. Uh, yeah, I was 35 when I got out. Uh, still had a few quid left. Um, while you're in prison, you meet people. And I ended up meeting a few people who were, who were doing a bit of graft here and there on the drug scene. And I ended up getting back into the drug scene, ended up getting back into the weed, the speed and the, and the coke and probably MDMA because I think ecstasies were more like shite then, you know what I mean? Yeah, this, yeah. It's, so it's, um, we were just, we were just there. Uh, we were in Spain a lot. Um, we were in different, different countries doing different things. And a lot of places we had to go. We had to use false passports to get there anyway because you wouldn't dream of using your own, would you? No. So no. it was like sort of all that, but um, we ended up getting involved then in a the porn company, you know, making uh, porn movies. Mm. And basically, like I'll tell you now, Billy, I've put a lot of money into straight businesses with a lot of straight people yeah. who have just basically fucked up. And then when you've gone round to put it on them, they've basically just said, listen, you're on camera now, anything happens to me, I'm going straight to the police or... 
you know, even when I got out, I approached someone who owed me a right few quid and just said, listen, you need to start paying me my money. He went, if you come near me or my house, I'm going to phone the police and get your license. You've got six years of your license yeah. left. I'll get you nicked and you go back for the lot of it. And I just thought, you know what? This is just wrong, wrong mm -hmm. in every way. And this is, these are like straight people who have come and basically said, I've got this business and got that idea and got this brought us in and then when you've paid the money and stuff like that then you, you can see where everything's just gone wrong with them and there's fucking a lot of them like that mate there is. did you ever think that was a bit of karma as well sometimes yeah. you go like yeah. this is it this yeah. is how it is for me it is what it is and uh, this is the consequences that i've had to you know, yeah i i know from like obviously we be we be using guns at an early age and stuff as well and yeah. we have done some really bad things to people over the years when we were growing up i can never take that back mate but you know what? I hope it is calm. It bit me on the ass, mate, because I deserved it. Yeah. And the end of the day, now I've been to jail. I've done the, I've done the crime. I've done the time. And now I'm coming out and I'm putting it to use. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, going back to the drugs, I was grafting from 2005 till 2000, start of 2011, and then all came crashing down. Then police going through the doors, and they ended up nicking um, a close family member. And basically the close family member just told them everything they needed to know, but not so much about all the drugs, but property yards in England, property yards in Spain, told them everything. So when it comes to the proceeds of crime, they, they found everything and knew where everything was. So yeah. for me, it was just like, it's like, it's like him who grasped me up. Do we have any malice towards him? No, I did do, but now yeah. I don't because it's him who's put me in where I am today, helping people. Yeah. But you don't swear on my mum's grave, mate, and tell me you've said no comment. Yeah, yeah. That was what done me, and I just said to him, don't fucking ever talk to me ever again. I went, I'm not asked to buy you grassing me up because, one, you sit in corners on your own. No one wants to know you. I said, you told everyone you didn't do it. I said, but your paperwork didn't lie. As soon as I come out, I give it to my other uncle and went, well, there you go. Right. He phoned me up halfway through and he said, John, listen, mate, he went, I can't read no more. He was crying his eyes out. He said, it's not that I never believed you. He was telling everyone that he never said nothing. I went, yeah. well, you've got a black and white. I went, I don't want that going to anybody else. Just you can see that. And if anyone wants to know, then you can tell them. And he was, he was crying his eyes out reading it. Yeah. But this is what happens. And I wouldn't mind what he got caught with. Wouldn't have even sent him to jail. No. No. He got nicked with a key of weed. It wouldn't have sent him to jail, probably to give him community hours. But then he started playing the victim then and started saying he's being vulnerable, you know what I mean? This, that, the other. Fucking hell, what the police and all that didn't know is that this fucker's been to Panama, South America and everything for me. Mm. And he gets nicked with a key of weed and fucking grasses me up. Mm. But you know what, I'll be honest with you, Billy, it was the best thing that happened to me. They took everything off me. I lost a lot. I was gutted. And up to the first three years of my sentence, I was coming out fucking off to Spain and cracking on again. Yeah. But I think once I went through the CAT-A units and stuff like that, and I've come out the CAT-A units and basically being sent down to the Isle of Sheppey in Kent, and I think watching my kids at, at a young age having to travel 17 hours there and back to come and see me for an hour, yeah. I thought, fuck this. What was the CAT-A units like, John? I've never uh, experienced <coughs> the CAT-A units. I mean, I've experienced jail in different countries, but yeah. you know, and I've heard a lot of stories and... Um, I always wondered whether they were true. I'll be honest with you, mate. I, I quite liked it in there. Yeah, was you? Uh, strange ways I got put in. I've been to strange ways. Like yeah, yeah. Well, in, in the Cate Uni, there's, um, you're not even allowed to come off the wing. No. So you have to stay on that wing and you're on a book. So even every 20 days, they come and move you out of a cell and put you in another cell just for security so you're not trying to escape. And um, I'll be honest with you, the um, Cate, well, they potentially Cate me in Walton. 
Um, couple of lads escaped from a prison van, and then lads I was grafting where he was, who I was working closely, where he ended up escaping from a prison van. And because them, the two scousers and him had done it the same way, and this fellow weren't a scouser, he was from like down south. And because they'd done it the same way, I got the fucking blame for it all. And imagine I've been stuck in jail here for 10 months, and uh, they've come and uh, ended up going in the block. They've ended up putting me in stripes in the block in, in Walton. There's no Alecky in there. You've got a little nightlight. You've got a fucking wind up radio that you'd have to wind up every 10 minutes. Uh, concrete beds with a little shitty mattress, but there was shit all over the walls, and it was fucking horrible, mate. This was in Walton? This was in Walton, yeah. yeah. And for three weeks I was in there. And because I was um, I was I was awake all night and, and sleeping every day. It was January two twelve. It was freezing cold. And I'll be honest with you. I just wanted to get cat aid or do something and get me the fuck out of that jail because my head had gone. Yeah. I think three weeks in the block where I had no couldn't speak to me family, couldn't speak to me solicitor. I weren't allowed to engage with any prisoners. They had me locked up all day. When the prison shut at seven o'clock, I was allowed to walk out in a yard. Well, in a cage for um, twenty minutes. 10 by 10 by 10 cage. I was walking around that for 20 minutes and I going in. And um, it was that bad, you know, where winding your radio up after three weeks, I had scabs all over my fingers. I had scabs all down my arms. I felt fucking minty. Yeah. My head had gone. I hadn't been able to train, just doing pad workouts. And I'll be honest with you, mate, I went in. By the time three weeks was coming, I was seeing things from a different angle. And I just wanted to fucking hear people yeah. who come in. Uh, they, they made me a cat a prisoner. Uh, they come put me in a boiler suit and stuff like that. And um, they blue lighted me then from Walton right the way through to Strangeways about six o'clock in um, in traffic. But they didn't stop me. They just went right the way up. The helicopter was up. And I'm thinking, I didn't even want to escape. There's yeah. nothing that I wanted. I just wanted to do me jail and get home to me kids. Yeah. And then the police and everyone else, the home office, they all put this, this thing on me that... You know, he's got the means, the powers, the ways to get anybody out of prison if he wants to. So it's definitely him. And so I goes to um, I get to put in the cat unit in strange ways. And they've got a monitor you for a week in the block. And um, so the screws get you in, they strip search you. Obviously, when you get into the strange ways, you go through the main door. And then you have to go through that, where all the dogs are. And you wait there for about half an hour. And then they'll drive you around to the cat part. And then you have to go through more gates into more gates into another yard. And I've got out about seven at seven o'clock of the night, pitch black, but like big bright lights on you. And as soon as I've got out, fucking Alsatians just jumped up at my arm. So I'm chinning that thing just because my head's gone anyway. Mm. So I'm trying to fight with a dog and all that. And it was just, it was just fucking chaos. I get in there and stuff. They've done, done all the um, interviews and stuff like that. He said, right, we'll let you get your head down tonight. And... We'll, we'll speak to you in the morning. We're going to have to keep you in the block and just monitor you for seven days. I went, all right, no problem. And as soon as they opened the door in the cell in there, it was like walking into the fucking Hilton. So you'd just come from Walton, where it was an absolute, complete and utter shithole, into like a cell that was lovely and warm. Beds was in there. It was nice and comfortable. There was a telly in there. So to me, it was just like, it was just really, really good. But um, I enjoyed it. And... I think being in there for seven days while everyone was sort of um, on the thing, I was padded up next door to uh, Desi Noonan. So me and Desi were talking and, uh, sorry, Damien, it was me and Damien are talking and stuff. And obviously I knew his Al fella a little bit. I'd met him a few times and I felt a little bit at home then. And then the screws had called me down 
and said, right, listen, um, obviously you're going in with terrorists, murderers. You know, there's people here who do in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. They're not going to think twice about stabbing you in the neck over an altercation. Yeah. I think at the time I was probably about 17 and a half stone. So when they've said that, mate, I'm in my pub doing press-ups <laughs> and getting in the mirror and getting angry and all that, thinking I'm, I'm walking into the fucking hell hole here. Yeah. And um, obviously when they've come to me after four days, they come like, right, we're quite happy with you. We're going to put you on the, um, put you straight through to the unit and stuff now. I've said, all right, went back to me pad, started throwing loads of, um, loads of whatchamacallits and um, throwing loads of sit-ups and everything out and press-ups and stuff like that. And then as soon as I walked in the unit, I'm thinking the first one who comes near me, I'm not asked who it is, I'm just going to have to flatten it and just make a point. Yeah. And as soon as I walked in there, he heard, now then, no bad. I've looked up, here's all my fucking mates on the landing. So they were all winding me up, weren't they? So for four days, I was psychologically fucking loons up, ready to go on. And I've gone on there and I've met her, um, I think there was only 17 in there when we got in there. And I think four of them were to do with a case I was involved in. Yeah. And I settled in all right there. I thought it was really good. And don't get me wrong, I've seen some naughty shit going on in there. And, it, you know, I've seen people getting buckets, mop buckets of boiling, boiling hot water with sugar and yeah. chocolate on it. And, you know, seeing the effects it has on it straight away, you're like, fucking hell. Yeah, you know, yeah. straight off the whim, it could go off like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, the people who are in there, they're, they're in there for a, for a reason. And, and I, I met a good few lads in there, to be honest. But you know one thing you don't talk about in there? You go to a Cat B, Cat C, it's always progression. It's, I'm going to a Cat B, oh, I'm looking at getting me Cat C. Yeah. In there, no one gives a fuck because they knew they were doing a long it's, time. It's, 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 and it's, just crack yeah, on with it, I've, yeah. I've, I've been there, John. I've, I had, um, I know exactly how, how you feel about Walton, yeah. Walton Block. I was down here for a, for a while as well. Eh? I was it's down here with Charlie. Billy, is it? No, I was down here when Charlie Bronson was down here. Eh? Who eh? else was down there? Johnny Phillips. Yeah. Eh, Joe Joe. There was a few lads back. Joe Joe yeah, Collins. I was. Yeah, I was young. I was yeah. a young kid back then. I'd, I used to hang around with the kids, me. Yeah. I was always. Eh, I was always down there. But John, I remember being down there, and, and I was in a shell within a shell. Yeah. You know that one. Yeah. Eh, um, it was. It was deadly. There was no. There was oh, no. You, could you smell shit down there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And eh, I had nothing, John. Nothing. Like you said, I didn't even have a wires up yeah. radio. And I, and I begged the, eh, the screw, could, he, eh, could I get a bucket? There's a little library little in the corner. She said, look, run as fast as you can, grab a book. Yeah. I, I would have read the back of a shampoo bottle, right, just to take away the boredom. Grab this book. Because it had a cowboy on the front, I thought it'll be a western. Gets back to the shell. <laughs> what was it up? And it was in Spanish. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck have I done here? And it was like, bosh! And he was just laughing and moved on. But yeah. Do you know what I got in there? I had them libraries. I was reading Martina Colbick's. Yeah. You ever read one? No. Fuck me, mate, the fucking deep. Gaddy. And it's a bar like, I was reading them. Um, read one about crime and all that. And uh, I remember seeing a film when it came out with Tom Hardy in it. He played the main guy in, in the, the take, it was called. The take, that was so brilliant. So I, I read yeah, the yeah. take first, and then I thought, you know what, it was a good book, that I'll go and get another one. Yeah. Got another one, and it was about fucking a pedophile ring and all that. I'll be honest with you, Billy, it sent my fucking head west, mate. Yeah. It was just yeah. deep and horrible, and I was sitting thinking, what the fuck am I doing reading this? But yeah. there's nothing else to do in there, you couldn't yeah. do nothing. Plenty of times of thinking. Yeah, you got too much time Harvest a lot of thoughts, yeah, yeah. So, and, yeah, but like, go, like <clears> going back to the, um, like, the cat's age and, and moving forward, yeah, the, the progression, yeah, people accept the situations mm-hmm. when they're in long-term prisons. You know, I've been in shells with people who, who were getting ready to get 
executed. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was a bit different where I was. Yeah, it was... um, They were getting... They were preparing for execution. They had loads of self-acceptance and I felt really guilty about the sentence I I was serving because it was pretty minimal compared to what... Compared to what they But I'd say in there, it was like like a lifetime anywhere else. Um, So how long did you serve in... um, um, the first one I got a four, and the second one totality probably got nineteen years. Yeah. And then I think out of that I got an early guilty plea on the first one, uh, took me down. So I got fourteen years, and then an early guilty plea on that took me down to nine and a half. And then um, I was in the Cate unit, me, and when I went to court from the Cate unit, I had to have armed guards and army still handcuffed, where yeah. where they, they won't let you go anywhere. I think one good thing out of that is I knock a fuck out of one of them Rotherham uh, uh, Rochdale groomers, didn't I, in the yeah. Cate unit in the courts. Well done. But uh, I had to get a mate, just for, for what I was reading about that at the time, I was just yeah. coughing and going to the toilet, which was, for me, it was nice. You know Satisfaction. I mean? but, yeah, fucking yeah. right, yeah. And um, I don't know, it was just, it was hard. And like, I got to court and um, I was sitting in court, everyone was around us. I'm in bloody handcuffs and all that. I get to say 14 years, basically. My solicitor told me I'd be lucky if I get a five. So I walked out of there with nine and a half years, which didn't warrant me to go to a dispersal because yeah. I didn't get over 10 years. Yeah. Well, the police weren't happy with that. So the next day, they went and raided my dad's house, smashed his door off his hinges, done everything to me aunties, cousins, the lot, and nicked them all for money laundering. So I had to go back to the court, and I had my dad, my family, everyone in the dock or because of me, you know what I mean? And the, uh, the prosecutor said, he said, well, we're quite happy with your um, dismissing John Burton out of this case now, and we'll just go with his father and the family. And the judge went, well, I'm happy with that. And I stood up, well, I said, well, I'm not happy with it. I said, not one of these people knew what they were doing. I said, you're talking about my dad. I went, just for the record, I forged his signature every time. Yeah. I said, so you've got to keep me in this case. And the judge went, if that's the case, keep him in. And then um, just... They were throwing deals at me all day, all day of the day of the trial, saying, you know, will you take these charges and we'll do this? And I went, no. I said, I'll take them four charges. I said, but them in the dock get a suspended sentence. I went, take it all leave. If you don't, I'll run, the, I'll run the trial today. And just as I got out of the lift, the prosecution were there and said, these four charges, he said, but we want to add this one. And then we'll, we'll put a deal in for the three of them to get a suspended sentences. So I went, one of them was a grass in there as well. Mm. And I said, yeah, Sands, I said, I'm happy with that. And it uh, goes into court, quarter past three. The prosecution passes the pay- uh, judge paperwork to the judge. You could see the judge going mad. And I thought, he's not going to have this here. And um, I was the only one in jail at the time. And he fucking demanded my dad and everything with me, didn't he? He said, right, you just want to do deals in court while I'm not here. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, it's quarter past three. He went, remand them all in custody. He said, and I'll deal with it tomorrow. And next minute, he was fucking uproar in the court. One of my cousins was a girl. So she had kids outside waiting for her. So the judge said, all right, let her go. The others can go away. So I had to go into, um, because I'd been cat at the time as well, I'd already got out of the uni mm. from the nine and a half, and then I was running the other uh, trial now. So I was deemed well enough to get to a, a, another uh, prison. I was At this time, I was in um, Oakwood, and they were transferred me to Alcourse, you know, while the uh, proceeds of crime went on. And um, I think having to watch me half fella get stripped, squatted, everything in a prison at a 60-odd-year-old man fucking destroyed me. And, like, and we never got out to, to our room. Like, obviously, mm. they put me half fella in me, me and then me pad. And then, to be honest with you, Billy, by the time we got in, it was 11 o'clock. 
And Osmi said, I was going on about was a fucking big pen to do his crossword. <laughs> he went, hey, lad, these have took my fucking pen. How am I going to do my crossword now? Yeah. I said, just fill it in with your head. And I said, just keep the numbers and the letters there. I said, just fill it in tomorrow. And he went, and they've got me fucking belt. So yeah, I, was, I was more worried me half fellow was there. But on the way, yeah. I'd been away a few years and it was good to have a night with him. I preferred it not to be in a prison cell. Yeah, yeah. But it was good to have a night with him. And I'm on the top bunk, mate. And you know when you wake up in the morning... You think, oh, I'm fucking dreaming. And then I've looked down there and there's me half fella in the bed. I tell you what, Billy, it was mm. probably the worst feeling I ever had in my life, mate. It's not nice when you've got your dad 60 odd and he's sitting in a fucking cell because of you. Yeah. My half fella's worked for all his life. He's been on network rail for 35 years. You know, what am I doing getting this man in shit? Yeah. So because um, he ends up going in the next day and um, they give them all suspended sentences, but that then warranted the proceeds of crime to take anything we had. And I'll be honest with you, for five years, my dad's bank accounts were frozen and they were letting us spend 200 pounds a week out of his money. And then when, when, when um, the end of the pocket, they fucking took everything off him as well. You know, to see him, all his wages, everything he's saved up for over the years, this, that, the other. Yeah. They took a fucking few hundred grand off him and it, was, it, it, it killed me. Cause he didn't have nothing to do with it, my dad. Neither did my family. But like, I, like you said, when you're earning that much money, like some of your family going, yeah, go and have an holiday or, yeah, there you go. Didn't once for tell them to put it in the bank accounts in cash. Yeah. And that's where it all comes back, you know what I mean? But for me, I think I think getting nicked on that and seeing what I put my family through, I just thought, nah, I'm not doing this no more, mate. It's not about me. I was a selfish fucker anyway. But once they nicked your family, and that's what the police do now, they'll come in, they'll nick you, and they'll nick your bird. Yeah. They'll nick anyone else who's in the house other than kids. If they find anything in the house, then you're just staying in cells for three, four, five days in the police station. And, you know, police station cells have got to be the worst of the worst, haven't they? There's nothing in there at all. You've got a little shitty blanket, but this is what they do to get you in interviewed and try and get you to talk loads of shit and get you to put in just so you can get to jail. No comments nowadays. They don't really go good for you. And no. I'd always stick to a no comment. I don't care, if, I don't care what anyone says. You get nicked, you go in, first thing you do is just say, listen, no comments, I've been advised by my solicitor to say no comments. And then it's for them, for them to sort of hit you with evidence to see if they've got enough evidence to get you then, and that's where you make your decision, innit? So for me, it was just, I'd done a no comments, a few people done a no comments, and then a few people, you know, at least, at least one of them, family members sung like a fucking canary. I was gonna buy him a budgie cage when I got out, mate. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what it is, what it is. It's, it's put me where I am today and what I'm doing now. I love my job now. So what is it that you do? What, what's, oh, so what, you've, you've gone through all that experience and seen... Uh, that must have been a tough one. Like, I, you know, I couldn't imagine like, sharing a shell with my dad yeah, or, sort of and mate. having to watch him you know, be subjected to, to, to having to squat and yeah, all that I stuff. I didn't know what was worse, waking up in the morning and seeing him or yeah. waking up in the morning and seeing his balls hanging out mm -hmm. of a fucking pair of fucking boxer shorts, you know? <laughs> But he's me, I fell in love with him, he's yeah. great. Just sad for him at the time. Yeah, I can imagine. And I, and I can just imagine. So there was what what changed your um, like your, your outlook on life then? Was it obviously that experience and what, what did you want to do going forward with your with your with your career? Up to um, I was in Oakwood and um I think I was about three years into my sentence and um I used them I was just I had a mobile phone when I was in there. Yeah. And um, there was an incident went on and a few things got mentioned. And obviously something got mentioned about someone getting killed and stuff like that. And two days later, 
Um, I was working in the reception. I used to go in and get the prisoners and put them on different wings. If any of our lads come in, I put try and get them with us. And if there was lads on drugs, I put them on a wing where they could try and get help or, you know, it was a drug wing. So we tried to mix the stuff. And then the NCA come in and I'm in the room with all the lads uh, who'd just come in. There was about 15 of them. And I'm going, oh, fucking hell, is the NCA. I wonder which one of you are getting nicked here. And it was for fucking me, weren't it? Yeah. So they've, they've shouted John Burton, and I've went, I went, what do you want? So the screws opened the holdings and let me out. I went, what do you want? He went, can we have a word in the uh, room here? I went, no, you can't. I said, whatever you've got to say now, say it here, mate. I said, because I ain't going in no rooms with you. I said, you can do it in plain sight of everyone. And he pulled a piece of paper and said, there's um, got a threat on a life. And I went, on my life? He went, no, no, someone out there. I said, but well, so what's that got to do with me? He went, you give the fucking order out two days ago. And I went, fuck off, I'm not signing nothing, mate. And then I went back to my cell. I'd never used the phone ever again. Yeah. And I just said to me mates and everyone, do you know what, mate, that's it, I'm done. I'm away from everything. I'm not getting involved in any bollocks no more. I'm not getting on no phones, not doing fuck all. Just want to get my head down, go and do me jail and get home to me kids because it, it, it frightened me. Yeah. Because I was, on, I was on a phone in prison. And, you know, something's got mental, I'm just going fucking iron them out. But obviously, it's what scousers talk like, innit? Me yeah, and going yeah. knock fuck out of them. And he's trying to tell me that he's getting... And the, the, the people I was talking to, they all got the same warnings. Yeah. So to me, phones were getting listened to. And I just went, nah, I've had enough. And then in the Cat A units, you'll never see a governor. If you do, he's surrounded by screws, so you'll never get near them. When you get to the Cat B... You'll probably see the odds one knocking around again if you'd asked them a question. It's just, yeah, it's sound. I'll see what I can do. And then when I was in Oakwood, after all that fiasco with the phone and all that, um, I'd, I'd only been open Oakwood about eight months or something. And um, I'd gone to one of these meetings because I was a wing rep um, on our wing. And I got up to walk out. And I remember the the, the, the governor shouting, hey, John, where are you going? I said, I'll be honest with you, Governor. said, it's not for me, this, mate. He went, what do you mean? I went, I said, you said, all going on about how good the prison is, this, that, the other. I went, you've got a visiting room over there. I said, you've got a multi-million pound kitchen here, but yet you deemed to buy sandwiches the day before. I said, and when we get them on our table, he said, the tomatoes and everything. I said, your bread's soggy. I said, so our visitors are coming in and buying soggy butties, buying a tea and coffee. And I went, like, one of my visitors come in the other day. I said, and because two sandwiches and two cups of tea were 12 quid, you only allow, allow, allow people to bring a tenor in on their own. I went, it doesn't make sense. I went, I could get five lads out of here, go to them kitchens and make a, and do a better job myself. I said, so can I go back to my cell? He went, no. He said, but I'll tell you one thing. I went, what's that? He went, put your fucking money where your mouth is. I went, what do you mean? He said, well, if you think you can change this, he went, I'll give you the... I said, you're going to give me the nod to go over to them kitchens and pick what foods I want to give out on visits. He went, yeah, go ahead. I went over to the kitchens and um, spoke to the guy who run the kitchens, Simon. I said to Simon, listen, mate, I went, um, obviously, I've had a... He said, yeah, I've just had someone on the phone. He said, there's the food you can pick from. He said, let's see what you can make up. I went, I'm not using that food. I said, that's the prison food. He went, well, that's what you've got to use. I went, this is for visitors. Yeah. I said, so you should be getting better food than using the prison food. I went, so you better get on the phone to the John McLaughlin now and ask him, hmm. am I allowed to use this one? I could hear him on the phone right now. I seen his face go from, he went, uh, okay. And then he put the phone down and said, um, I said, what did he say? He went, whatever you want, give you. What he didn't realise is I used to run salmon shops. I had my own salmon shops in Liverpool before I got nicked years ago. Mm. And um, I got the packaging. I got the chicken. I got the beef. I priced everything right down to the 
pinpoint and I had five lads with me. I had an Asian lad who was doing like curry stuff and halal stuff. I had an Italian baker who was the best cake baker I've ever, I've ever seen in my life. And then he had three lads making the sandwiches with us. And um, I think they'd never had cakes on the visit. They never had like chicken dippers or stuff like that. And we introduced all that between our little crew. And the first visit I went on after the first few days, and I tell you now, Billy, you see nothing like it in your life, mate. We were doing like chicken riata sandwiches, chili chicken, beef and onion, cheese and onion. But one we, one thing I did do, I lowered all the prices right down. So I said, your cheese and onion ones are two quid. I said, and all your salads and hefty sandwiches are two fifty. Mm. And then I started introducing like cakes, like buttercream scones and. I seen what it done to everyone in the prison. Everyone in the prison was buzzing because we were eating decent food yeah, now on yeah. a visit, but all the visitors were happy. And for me to see that, I, I felt like I could help a lot more people. And I seen a little niche and I thought, you know what, this 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 is where I could go with like helping prisoners' families and prisoners yeah. going out. And for how many people come to my pods of a morning at eight o'clock with bags of grip and said, can I leave these to you till later? I went, are you fucking going home? He went, and I'll be back at 10 o'clock. I went, why? He went, I've got nowhere to go, John. He went, they're going to give me a train warrant and 47 quid. He went, I'll be back. And I remember a few of them coming back. I said, how do you get on? He went, so I'll bang some birds. Fucking had a little bit of Chinese. Got fucking bladdered, buttered the bam, and the police come, nick me, put me back in here. He went, that's how I've got to live for the rest of my life. I thought, nah, that's rough wrong. Yeah. He said, you yeah. can't aim. And do you know what, Billy? It's like sitting here, me and you, mate, and you got some proper people they were just coming in your pad and dropping, and then they're coming back and picking the gear up for the night time, and so they've got the clothes and don't have to get processed again. And then I'm looking at it thinking, fucking hell, mate, this is not right, this. Mm. And then I got moved to the um, Stamford Hill on the Isle of Sheppey. Um, I was supposed to go there with um, 24 months left, and because of that altercation with the phone in Oakwood, they'd kept me there for another six months waiting for it. And um, I got there with just under 19 months left. And um, after three months, you're allowed to go out and start working. Nine months later, mate, I was still in and they wouldn't let me out. And I ended up getting sick in there. And they sent me into the hospital. They sent me in with a screw and I had an infection on my colon. But I'd lost all kinds of weight. I'd end up going in there really ill. And uh, I was in there three weeks. But the first day, the officer said to me, he said, we've had a word with um, Rottle. He said, we're going to leave you here. We're quite, we're quite happy about you doing this on your own. So just adhere to everything. And every other day, I had to go down, get my license and give it back in, stuff like that. And uh, the day I come out, uh, they called me into the office, me SO. And he said, I'm going to be honest with you. He went, the police have got a marker on you. He said, they don't want you going out on any rottles. Mm. He said, but one thing we, we, we say, John, is that you've been in hospital for three weeks. If you wanted to run, you could have run. He said, so phone your family up and tell them they can come down Saturday. And um, they gave me a visit in um, central London. Wouldn't let me go anywhere else. And I was in central London with the kids and that. I had a great day out. And then goes back to the prison, gets in early enough and everything. And then they called me into the office and said, right, you're banned from London. What do you mean, ban from London? Maybe don't want you going in London. So again, the police have had some because I had a lot of connections in London from yeah. when I was when I was younger, and um, I ended up having to go to you know Westfields in uh, Stratford. So yeah. I had to have my town visits every two weeks in there, and it was like getting there at fucking ten o'clock in the morning, and I had to stay there till four o'clock every day. And the screws would come and turn up in the Westfields and say, right, we're outside KFC. Walk down and see if you've got ten minutes. 
So I was walking down and seeing them. They were happy and going, but I didn't want to fuck around, Billy. I just wanted to get out in the end and just get back with my kids, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it was difficult being all that, all them miles away from home. And then while I was in, um, when I was in prison there, they just got a new governor, a fella called Jim Podley, but I'd never seen him. I didn't know who it was. And I've gone on the wing one night to pick me key up and I went to uh, Keith. I went, Keith, can I get me key, lad? He went, yeah, go ahead, Scouse. And then as I've turned round to walk out of it, Scouse, fucking hell, mate, you sound like a Jedi. <laughs> so I've turned round, I've turned round, Billy, and there's a baldy fella with a tweed jacket on with jumbo cords on, and I've yeah. gone, fuck off, baldy. I went, you look like a fucking Jedi. He said, look, what are, what are them cords? And then he started having a proper bit of banter with me, and I was leathering the fuck out of him, and he was having a little laugh with me. Yeah. And I was coming on for a few minutes, and then I've got my key in on my way out. I went, anyway, Baldy, who the fuck are you on my wing, lad? He went, oh, I've been waiting for you to ask that. He said, my name's Jim Padley. I'm the new number one governor. I just went, oh, for fuck's sake, I went, I've done it again. And he went, nah, Johnny went, I'm from Manchester. He went, um, I love a bit of banter. Yeah. He said, I'm not going to caution any grief over it. He went, I quite enjoyed. He said, you're a good lad. Yeah. He said, um, big lads, aren't you? Um, at this time, I was 17 and a half stone with a skinhead. I was probably one of the strongest in the jail because I've been training all the way through and I've, I've trained since I was like early 20s, you know what I mean? And um, I said, listen, Gov, I said, I've got an idea. I said, I want to run a posture. I said, because I think you'll back me on it. Hmm. He said, uh, what is it? I went, I'd rather sit down and speak to you face to face on it. And um, I said, I want to change my life. I said, I'm not going on like this no more. And he went, OK. He said, I'll listen to you. He said, uh, can I give you a bit of advice? I went, yeah, yeah. He said, um, you need to change. He said, because I'll tell you now, if I seen you on the street, streets, he said, I'd fucking be terrified. And he said, you're out of Scouser. You have got a fucking big mouth. I said, well, that's what we're like, aren't we? I said, we are known <laughs> for it. And I said, don't worry about me. I said, when I get out of here, I said, I'll be a different person. I said, I've got 14 months to go. And he went, okay. So I went down and seen him a couple of days later. And I'd, what I'd done is I was, I was in my pad every night. I was writing stuff down, thinking, what can I do when I get out to change? Or And I was writing, should I fuck off to Spain? Should I do this? Should I do that? A geographical? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I was just trying to get a feel of what would be out there for me. And I didn't want to get into graft or any criminality to put me back in prison. Because when I got out, I had six years license left as well. So I didn't want to get in trouble, get me six years on that and get another sentence on top. I went, nah, fuck this. So I went along and seen him, I said, um, I spoke to me mate, I went to phone, I went to um, prison with a Blackberry, so I'd never seen an iPhone. And then speaking to me mate on the phones, on my phone, on the blue phone, I was, he was just saying, you know, apps of the future. He went, um, I'm in the middle of making an app. I went, what do you mean an app? He said, if you create an app to do certain stuff, he said, you, he said, you end up selling them for ye in years to come for a lot of money. <clears throat> I didn't think nothing of it. And I've gone back to my pad. I'm sitting there, you know, you've got all your paperwork out on your bed and you're still looking and writing stuff down. And I went, I've got a fucking app here. I went, I saw phone my mate up and went, have a check and see if there's any apps on any prison rehabilitation and stuff like that. I phoned him back, he went, no, fuck all. I went, all right, sound. I said, let's look into this. And then that's when I took all my paperwork down to the governor. I said, right, listen, um, I've got an idea for an app, um, but obviously I need to get out and go down to the internet cafe and stuff and do research. Now, outside Cat, uh, Stanford Hill to Catty Prison, mm. the ad face and swale side, a little um, prison cafe and stuff where the public could go and a few lads worked in there. And I said, I need to be getting out. And because I started working on the vans, then, you know, dropping the prisoners off and to and from work. So I used to go out of the morning, me, Billy, at half seven. 
I used to take the lads into Rochester to, so they could go to work. Um, my mate, um, he's, he's got a lot of businesses on Rochester High Street. So I would drop them off there. I'd go into um, a cafe. I'd have my poached eggs on toast, get back in the van, straight back to the prison for nine o'clock, get in the gym till half 11, go and get a shower, back out at 12, drop the lads off a sitting bone train station, get a little bite to eat there, and then I'd come back, have a little chill for a few hours, and then half four, I used to go out straight to Rochester. I used to park my van on Rochester High Street outside my mate's restaurants, and every night I was on the fucking three-course meal. <laughs> so I was happy. I was. I went. I didn't want to. Didn't need a job because I was still all right. Yeah. But I just wanted me foods and stuff like that. That's all I was bothered about. And um, the governor gave me the, then the the thing to go down the internet cafe. So the lads were working in there, and they used to feed me every day as well. So I was happy. And um, what he said to me, he said, "Let's do what you've got to do." And he said, a few weeks before you leave. He said, we'll have a big um, a big seminar with loads of lads, loads of officers, myself, few, few of the governors, and he said, and we'll, we'll see what your proposal's saying. And um, I got in there, there was about 30 of them in the room or something like that, and I'd only had two weeks left. But the governor hadn't seen me for the best part of nine months. Mm. And um, I went into the uh, governor's office and knocked, I said, uh, I said, Mr. Paddle, he went, yeah, he said, can I help you? I said, yeah, yeah, I've come here to do a seminar. And he, he went, John? I went, yeah, yeah, he went, fucking hell. He went, what's happened? I'd lost five stone. I had A, and I was just, look, I had, I'd got my glasses by then as well. So it just looked like a completely not a different person. He went, yeah. I said, you did say I needed to change. And I did tell you the next time I saw you, I'd be changed. He went, he said, I'm impressed. He went, I'd never in a million years recognised you. He said, uh, how are you getting on with everything? I said, Sam, I said, we're ready for it. He said, okay, I ended up going in, doing the presentation, and I could see everyone sitting there like that going. And I was thinking, is this a good thing or a bad thing or what? And I'd done the presentation, and, and um, the governor stood up, and he went, I'm going to be honest. He said, I think I'll be the first person to speak. He went, what you've just told me has just shocked me. And I was thinking, shit. And he went, that's the best idea I said I've seen on my desk with it for, for 30 years I've worked in the prison system. He went, one, we will all give you the backing. He said, and two, he went, good luck with this, he said, because if you get it right, he went, you'll, you'll take over a massive, massive part of the prison system with this. And um, everyone got up, give you a, and a round of applause. I'll be honest, Billy, I was choked a bit, me, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Because everything I've done in life has always been in the criminal world. Yeah. You know, these are all telling me what I could do in a straight world and what my app would do and how to see it moving forward. And, and I got out in um, February 2017, and part of me restrictions where I couldn't be in Liverpool Monday to Friday after 5pm. After 5 so it just left me in a, in a, in a bit of a uh, pickle. So while I was sort of getting my family back together and stuff up here, I ended up living in Runcorn for about four months. And then uh, as soon as I got everything sorted, I went back down to Kent. And I just wanted to reevaluate my life and stuff because when I come out and my head was all over the place, you didn't know what was going on. And being away six years is a long time, especially being away from Liverpool. Yeah. You go to a Cat D, you can start going home, but I couldn't. I had to go to uh, Westfields in yeah. uh, London. And then with the restrictions, the police were making it really difficult for me to do anything. I could only have one phone, one car. I was only allowed to carry uh, less than £200 on me. Um, just just all the usual stuff. And because I got an ex another sentence later on, I'd come out of that and I only had four months of that to do, where it should have been two and a half years. 
So I'd come out four months later. By the time I'd left Runcorn and gone to Kent, I didn't have sort of other restrictions on me other than Liverpool. And then I think it was two years in of all the work I'd been doing with probations and putting people in work that they had to review my licence. And then February 19, they let me come back to Liverpool and sort of stay here. So since then, we've got the centre open and we just keep going from strength to strength, to be honest. Brilliant. So what is it you do in your, your, your inside connections? Yeah, what we do here is, um, one, we work with prisons. We work with the uh, prisoners in there and we, get, we can get them out on rattle every day. So release on temporary license, we can get lads out of open conditions, bring them in here, uh, give them some courses to do. And you know, if they want to go into construction, then we'll do a construction course with CSES cards. If they want to get into fiber optic and data, if they want to get into renewable energy or eco stuff, I'm only working on stuff that one, gives living wage and above, and two, is sort of future work for everyone. Um, I think up until just before COVID, we had, um, I think, 45% of our workforce were all prisoners coming out every day. What, prisons in the um, northwest? Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, your Catty prisons, your Thorncross and your Kirkham. We had people coming out of there every day, six in the morning. Expensive, yeah. Back, and going back at eight in the night, but never had a problem with any of them. All worked well. Uh, we had a big thing going on with uh, Wilmot Dixon and... You know, there's a woman called Jane Greaves from Wilmot Dixon who I'll always be in debt to because yeah. she was the first person who said, you know what, I believe in you. And uh, she was the one who gave me the go and look what we've got with Wilmot Dixon. Now we're fully on national, um, got national coverage with them. So they've just given us another 20 odd sites in the north where I think between 36 and 60 people are going to go through them sites on everyone for jobs. So then we've got like BCEGI and we've got companies now come on board. We're working with prisons and... You know, we've even got CEOs who used to run prisons on our, on who are working for us now. So mm. the first few years of doing it is, ah, oh, fuck, he's an ex-offender. He's an ex-drug dealer. And I don't yeah. give a shit what anyone says. Yeah. No matter how good you're doing in life, that's always going to be stuck in people's minds. Now, if you look now, what's happening now is the last two years or three years, I've always known everyone to stay away from ex-offenders and stuff. You're getting probations, you're getting organisations, you're getting charities, and they're all calling out now for people with lived experience. Yeah. Because who can tell? Who, who could learn a 16-year-old better than me and you? Yeah. We've had lived experience. We know what it's about. We've seen the shit these kids have to grow up to sometimes. And a lot of people who have been in care... It, it's just hard for them, isn't it? And so we, I know 45% of kids in care are now in prison. And so we said, you know what, let's get it to the root of the problem. Let's get it to 16-year-olds. And we've got a care provisions now that we provide care for kids 16 to 18. But by the time they're 18, they've got all the skills, everything they need to get out and just get that job, you know what I mean? It's great working with the kids from care because we, we, we were given a young lad from Cheshire um, he was only 16, and he was the naughtiest boy on the top of the list in the whole of Cheshire. And be honest with you, when we were reading what was going on and stuff like that, we were thinking, nah, but you know, I went, you know, no, nah, you can't do that. I went, let's give him a chance. And he's never stayed in a provision for more than two days. He never engaged with the police, never engaged with the social workers, always carrying blades, getting nicked all the time, robbing drug dealers, proper, proper little handful. But within 10 minutes of meeting him, he just opened up to us and I went, why are you being different with us? He went, because you've been to jail. I went to know, but that's not the be and end all of it. He went, fuck all these police and social workers. He went, don't want fuck all to do with any of them. Mm. I said, no, but if you want to play the game and you want to get on in life, 
you need to sort of work with us. She went, I will, I'll work with you all day long. And that's, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that's exactly what it is, John. I yeah. agree with him. It being um, having, having a, um, an history in criminality and mm. drug addiction and stuff like that myself and, you know, feeling like that I don't fit in yeah. to the normal. Uh, it does, yeah. It's, it affects you. I think so. some people won't attach themselves to the likes of uh, yeah. my background, which is unfair. And like you said, there's, there's a role to redemption. There's a change. We have yeah. to go through all that, you know, that... Um, that traumatic experience and do things that we don't want to do and go we've, to places. We've had to get through that to get yeah, to where we are today. Yeah, you know, we, today. We, it's, um, and today, you know, it, I, um, I, I, I couldn't imagine uh, being that person, mm. you know, back then. Yeah. I'm totally different That's from that. It's the same as me now. Yeah. But you look at yourself and you think, fucking hell, what was I doing? But you know, do you want me to be honest with you, Billy? It's part of your life cycle. Yeah. And it's part of our life cycle. If we were brought up in you know, somewhere where it's an upper-class um, city or something like that, where our mums and dads had really good jobs and can afford anything, we probably wouldn't have gone down that route. But there's a lot of people like us who yeah. live in council estates and who are being bringing up with mum and dads who are on drugs or mum and mum's just not with dad anymore, dad's yeah. in jail, and it has an effect on, on the kids. It had a big effect on my kids, and yeah. I'll never forget the day them busies come through my door. I, lo I looked at my lad in there, he was 14, and to see the look on his face when they burst that door, I'll never forget that for the rest of my life, yeah. mate. And even till now, I always think of it because I think, you know what, if you want to go down the wrong route, you just keep remembering his face because it won't happen. Know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's hard, isn't it? And it is, and that's it. Uh, this is why I love it. Um, no, and I, I'm recent, uh, recently been doing these podcasts and I love the diversity, John, yeah. and I love the fact that, you know, I can, I can, I can speak to people who... Um, you want to change, you have changed, yeah. and not people who are actively still engaging in crime. Yeah, that yeah. is a big no-no for me. Yeah, I'm not here to talk yeah. to somebody yeah. and um, give people a platform who've, who who continue to, uh, to, to 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 take money off, off out of our communities yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. rob our society. You know what I mean? Look at our communities. You know what I mean? This is why we voted in Kirkdale. And for me, this is a, this place is a big part of me. This community centre because when I was a kid, I used to play football upstairs. I used to go to St. John's School here, which was just behind it. Yeah. All my mates come here. And when I walked in here in, um, I think it was March, the start of March, I'd come in, seen the lady, Sheena. Sheena's been here for like 30 years, but she was only using one room in the community centre. And she just said, John, she went, I've had a dream. Someone like you would walk in and just get this done. And look what we've done to it now. We've built it all up. Unfortunately, we've had COVID for eight months through it. Yeah. Um, we've ended up getting it all built up properly, but inside connections now, we're massive in London. Uh, we're doing well in Birmingham. We're doing well in Liverpool. You've got then like some Manchester, Oldham, Preston, Leeds, Yorkshire. We're, we're, we're getting around, and I'll be honest with you, I'm a bit gutted that we're not doing more in Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. But Liverpool's a bit of a, it's a close-knit place, and... Just, you know, for me, I'm getting a lot more work out of the city than I am in the city. And it comes down to funds and all. And still, I always think, you know, why is an ex-offender? Yeah. And You've always got that playing yeah, on yeah, the back I'll of your I'll always yeah. have it. You know, it's a stigma in my life and it always yeah. will be. And you'll always get people who will go, oh, don't be silly. That's 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 part of life. But then you try and get in corporate companies. The yeah. first thing, you know, you go for a job. 
you know, you've been to prison. Your DBS. Ah, yeah, <laughs> half the time. They don't want to take you on. No. So what, why do they want to take you on as a partner when they know you've had a fucking long history of yeah. selling drugs and stuff like yeah. that? It still always sticks in there. And maybe I'm being paranoid. Maybe I'm not, but I don't care. Well, you know, it's, still... uh, you know, people do judge, John, and that's, uh, you know, but sometimes you, you, you're... Your history can be your best asset. Yeah, yeah. Your well, it's working out to be. Uh, and that's it. And you know what? I'd just like to. Is there anything? On um, I always say this: looking for pearls of wisdom, wisdom at the end of a um, at the end of a podcast. Uh, would, what would you say to people out there who are struggling or, or needed any kind of guidance or advice? What would you suggest? If if it's anything that you can't get into work, or or you're looking to try and do something, or you have got a criminal conviction, or you have come from care then we care about you. Yeah. Because I had someone phone me up the other week, Billy, asking me for a job, and I said to them, what convictions have you got? He went, what? I went, what convictions have you got? He went, I haven't got none. I went, well, I can't give you a job. He went, fucking hell, mate. It's the first time I've heard that. <laughs> I went, I don't mean to be arsy, mate. I said, but I'm here to give lads who, who are finding it hard to get a job, yeah. who have got criminal convictions to sort of go in. And I went, I said, you know, I won't work with sex offenders or all that bollocks. Yeah. I went, I work with medium to low risk and people who need that second chance. Yeah. And he went, fucking hell, mate. He went, I've never been asked that before. I went, well, this is part of life. I went, yeah. and I got on with him on the phone. He was laughing. I put him in touch with someone and then he phoned me the next day. He said, I ended up getting a job. Well, I'll always help anybody. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. But the thing is, is if the more funding we can get, the more opportunities we've got. And we're working with massive companies now, not just sort of little small businesses. These are ma massive national companies, and we've got jobs all over the country, apprenticeships all over the country. We've got tons and tons of training going on. And even where we've got companies now, we have one company, City Fiber and Carbon yeah. Sixty, have just offered us two hundred and fifty fully paid courses all around the country for people in different areas. And like I say to the county lines, lads, you should all, you should all happy with three or 400 quid in your pocket, but go working on this, it's seven ton a week up to the grand. Oh, where'd you get that? I said, so if you want to smoke weed, you'll stay with a 200, 250 uh, job a week and it'll be cashing in most of the time. You might get a job where it's small business, they don't do drug tests. I said, but all the people we're working with are multinational companies who do drug tests. I said, you fail a drug test, you're banned for everything for five years, cites the, cites the lot, and I don't care who it is, what background they've got, or as long as it's not like any crazy sex offences, paedophilia, stuff like that, then anyone other than them, I said, I'll, I'll be there to help them. And people phone me now, so why won't you work with sex offenders? I went, well, truthfully and honestly, none of my staff and experienced to work with sex offenders. Yeah, I went, yeah. So why would I want to work with sex offenders anyway? Yeah, said, because, exactly. And, and, and you've got to do it like, and they'll say, well, well, that's not fair. You're just being, I said, no, I'm not. No, no, I said, not, but no. you asked 95% of companies um, about pay, working with ex offenders. The first thing they'll say to you, I'm not working with sex offenders. I said, so why would I want to waste my time doing something I don't know, not enough, when I've got something that I know everything of that I can do and I can help change It's lives. a different breeze, isn't it? Yeah, a different yeah, breeze. Yeah. And it's, yeah, we don't even want to go down that road, Johnny. No, but here's my thing, Billy, is yeah. you get your normal prisoners who go in and out all the time who you can sit there and help no problem. But all them, all them type of people, they've got illnesses, mate. Mm. And I say to them, how are you supposed to deal with an illness? I say, get proper people in to deal with it. Yeah. You know, some of the things I've heard and... You know, changing crimes, putting burglary and robbery just so they can get in a, in a place to live and that. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. What about the kids who live in that streets and things like that? Yeah. So I try to stay away from all that because it brings too much like bad karma to you, doesn't it? It does, yeah, it does. Yeah, so on. So um, how can people get in touch with you, John? 
Um, obviously, you just go on the website. Um, our website's got uh, the website we've got's magnificent, and uh, yeah. you can always get it on www.insideconnections.co.uk. Or we've now got an app on um, Android and Apple Play stores, and all they do is just go on the App Store and download Inside Connections, Brilliant. and you can see there's lots of courses, there's lots of stuff on there, and. Don't ever think you're not you're not good enough for a job because you've got a criminal conviction. That's bullshit, man. Yeah. You know, we're, we're showing now. We've put over 200 people in work over the last year. Brilliant. You know, and I think at the time, I'd say 20% of that were still prisoners. And I think as soon as... Well, we've just had a phone call today to say as soon as the prisons can get let open, can we have them back on site training? Yeah, you can, of course you can, because I'll support them all the way in... I'm one of them, me, Billy. I don't want to fuck around with people who don't want to change. So if it's someone who wants to come out and have, just to go to work so we can go and have a dinner with his beards at dinner time, then sorry, mate, it's not good. Because to me, you're taking someone else's yeah, place. Yeah. And yeah. at the end of the day, you're having hours dinner to walk around town, whatever you do in town and have a bite to eat, that's down to you. But don't say to me, I'm, oh, can I go out at dinner time with me beard and stuff? Because I'll say no. You know, at the end of the day, I want lads who have got kids, who have got families, who, especially in a cat D, they're all yeah. drug free because they get tested before they come out. They're, they're in there for the sort of the last two years. They can get out to work and support the family. And I'll tell you now, every lad we've had from prison, every company we've worked with said, we'll take another 20 of them on. He said they're all being well behaved and stuff. And I remember going on Wilmot Dixon for the first time and we had a container put on site with all their officers. And um, I had 10 prisoners coming out every day and three from the community. And their main guy called me in and went, John, listen, um, you, you know, there's a few people all a, a, a bit like skeptical about this. I said, <laughs> why, what's up? He went, well, we've got 10 prisoners who are going to be on site from Monday just walking around. I said, well, what's wrong with that? He went, well, fuck, what, what are they in for? We, we don't know. I went, them people are just like me. He went, well, they're not just like you. I went, well, yet they are. I said, you give me a chance, your company give me a chance yeah. to prove to you what we're about and what we can do. I said, so let's take this up on Friday next week. I said, if there's any problems, I said, we'll, we'll, we'll address it. So it goes in on the Friday and before I got in there, as I was walking in, he had his hands up like that. I went, go on, what's the matter? He went, I apologise. He went, you give me 20 lads like that. He went, I'll take every single one of them on. He went, brilliant. He went, respectful. Um, health and safety, anything. He said, they are magnificent, John. And I think from there, we got um, a two-week introduction to construction on there with a CSES card at the end. Then all the lads went on a two-week work experience, you know, with all the supply chain on site. Now, why I like doing it on site, Billy, is because every dinner time, them lads were going in with all the supply chain and sitting and having dinners and having a laugh. And when I goes there on the Friday, the presentation, they said, listen, I want them too, them too. So everyone had heard Mark do the want. And um, on that project alone, we come off on the Friday after and he called me in the office on the presentation day and said, listen, we haven't spoken to none of the lads, he said, but... Everybody was 12 on site. One decided to stay in the prison because he had a toothache. And the 12 on site all got full-time work. Brilliant. So for me, it was ten pris uh, nine prisoners and three from the community all got full-time work. And it was with good companies. And, mm. you know, a lot of the jobs are still there. There's a couple of lads who have come out who were still working on it. So for me, it's given them sustainable um, jobs, but living wage and above. And that's what we need because we're putting people in minimum wage jobs you're flogging a bit of a dead horse yeah, because yeah. if I put someone in a warehouse on minimum wage, I know nine times out of ten, that ain't going to cover them. 
And at the end of every week, you sort of like, yeah, I can do a little bit of this to do that. Well, don't you just get on, do your training, and go and get a decent job where you Brilliant. can take four or five hundred quid home, innit? Well, that's it, innit? You've got um, people who simply just make mistakes, mm-hmm. want to change. Easy, and you've got people it? that make mistakes, continue and doing the same thing, don't want to change, yeah. and there's no willingness. So, John, absolutely incredible story. Brilliant. Loved I enjoyed it. that, Billy, mate. Honestly, God, yeah. I did. Thank you very much. And um, I'll put all your social media uh, platforms yeah, on the channel. And then we'll do the same for you because I think stuff like this should be promoted, mate, because I've enjoyed it today. Thanks. I've done a few things with a few people and I've thought, you know what, was it worth it or what? But it's good to be with someone who's actually been there, seen it, done it, wore the T-shirt and sitting here speaking to a good man, mate. Nice one, John. Well Thanks. done, Billy, mate. Take Thank care. you.